Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. We're coming to the end of the year, so I just wanted to talk about the growth of the podcast over this last year and some exciting plans for autism stories, or at least I think so, for 2023. We certainly have more listeners than ever, which is wonderful. The list, it's grown, the podcast has grown quite a bit in this last year. And I think, which is, you know, truly wonderful, because I think every one of our stories in the autistic community is so critical to share and learn. And I really appreciate that all of you feel that, hopefully feel that same way too, and, and are listening because of that. So just thank you all of you that have started listening this past year, as well as those have been uh, with us prior to this last year and the last two, three, four years. I'm really grateful for all of you. Now, the, the growth of the podcast isn't just the listeners, though. It's behind the scenes as well. You know, I've mentioned on a few occasions my wonderful assistant Christiana edits all of the podcast and is a big part of booking all of our guests. However, this year we added another member of our podcast team, C.V. Bodine. I had interviewed C.V. all the way back, I believe it was on episode 100 of Autism Stories. C.V. is now doing the research for the podcast, which is so critical because it's this information that allows me to write and ask the questions of all the fantastic folks that I get to interview. So I'm not only so thankful to have these amazing people as part of my team, but it's freeing me up to do things that I've wanted to do with the podcast for a long time now. Which brings me to uh, the plans for Autism Stories in 2023. Each week, we'll continue to release an episode on every Monday at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. That's not going to change. However, we are now going to, every Thursday, release a new episode as well. So that's going to be two new episodes of Autism Stories each week. We're going to double up the amount of stories that we bring to you for the year. So starting in the first week of January, listen to Autism Stories every Monday and Thursday. Now, on to today's episode, I've talked before about how unlearning can be just as important as learning when you gain knowledge that you're autistic. That's why I'm excited to have T. Jamaica Pogue join this episode to discuss about unlearning through deconstructing autism and ADHD one fallacy at a time, intersectionality in research, and her podcast. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. T, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here, Doug. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Absolutely. With all these episodes, uh, we usually start by asking uh, 
the same question, which is where does your story in the autistic community begin? Awesome. Well, it's fairly recent for me, at least with understanding and, and fully owning that I'm autistic, but I've always had an interest in mental health and psychology for my whole life. So for quite a few years, I've had random thoughts of, you know, am I autistic just based off of my experiences and my education? But because I had such a narrow view on what autism was until the last few years, I kind of gaslit myself and convinced myself that it couldn't be true because I didn't fit the stereotypes. But once I had a lot of time to be very introspective, like a lot of people during the pandemic, I had a lot of time free from any external distractions or anything that I used to use to kind of avoid sitting with myself. That's when I truly was able to connect those dots and accept the fact that I am autistic and have ADHD. And so it's only been about two years that I've been an active and proud out member of the autism community. But over those last few years, I've been able to go back and look at my life experience through this new reframed lens to understand just how I went 32 years prior to the last two years of being undiagnosed as an autistic person. You're talking about, you know, kind of your life changing maybe a little bit during the pandemic, like so many of us, you know, what, what changes kind of led you to kind of like look differently at kind of your, your brain and, you know, being neurodivergent and all that? Yeah, the reset of the pandemic changed my social life. So I went from working in the office and being around people working in an environment where I had to speak to people all day, every day, to now working at home. And at first, I thought it was going to be difficult because I was just so used to working in the office. And I really loved what I did. I love helping people. I worked in customer service. So, and what I did was kind of specialized in the customer service world where I dealt with like really high pressure situations. So I was kind of always on go mode. Going into the pandemic and having a lot of the social activities that I used to be a part of on a regular basis go away, I immediately started to see a difference in how I felt at the end of the day. So even though I consciously loved what I was doing and I didn't feel like I had any issues, I didn't connect back to the fact that I was always drained at the end of the day to the fact that I was socially masking all day because I was doing the same work from home. And sometimes I'll work more hours and get more work done from home, but I wouldn't feel nearly as drained or nearly as depleted. And after a while, it took me a while to connect the dots that, oh, I was feeling better because I didn't have to spend all day doing two times the work. I wasn't doing the work I was paid to do, plus the emotional labor of having to mask. And that was a really big impetus in me, like reframing, like what, what really does make me happy? What situations do I thrive in? Now, I learned about you through your wonderful social media accounts, uh, Deconstructing Neuro. And so I'm wondering, with the purpose of deconstructing autism and ADHD, one fallacy at a time, you know, what are some of the fallacies you are most focused on these days deconstructing? Basically, what I call the quote-unquote face of autism 
kind of like I mentioned, I gaslit myself for so long into not believing I am autistic for the simple fact that I don't fit the stereotype of what most people think of when they think of autistic people. And I know I'll speak for myself. I saw it as very like a small, young, white boy. And I am clearly the exact opposite. I am an adult black woman. And so like just only having that kind of cursory knowledge of it, of the stereotypes, really held me back from accepting this a lot sooner. And I know from my conversations with other women, other adults, other people from minority groups, that they've had similar situations where it took them a long time to connect the dots on them being autistic simply because there's this misconception of what it's supposed to look like. And I'm someone who's always been a high achiever, you know, the what did they say, the gifted child or whatever, someone who's always excelled academically and was able to hold their own socially. I was never popular, but I was never, you know, completely picked on. And so, again, like, that's the biggest fallacy is changing our understanding of the face of autism, seeing how it actually looks when you throw in intersectionality. It's not going to present the same way in a woman as it will in a male not going to present the same way in an adult as it does as a child. And so bringing conversations to the table from actually autistic people from all different walks of life and all different, you know, shades, colors, and, and backgrounds is what I'm really, really focusing on and what the heart of deconstructing neurodivergence is about. Basically just getting to the root of what caused us to see it and see autism in such a one-dimensional way while also providing a more multifaceted view of what autism looks like. Now, I have the belief that there may be nothing more important than our autonomy. And I recently saw a video of you talking about that in Deconstructing Our Neurodivergence, that so much of what is tied up in autonomy, you know, relating to our freedom. So how do you think society looks at those that not only desire, but take actions to assert their own autonomy? Wow, that is a big question. I would say, especially coming from like an autistic perspective, the reason why I think our autonomy is so important is because for so long and to this day, autism has been seen from an allistic lens. So it's always been viewed and defined by those outside of our community who they may have academic knowledge of what's going on. They may have studied it. They may have a lot of insight, but it doesn't supersede lived experience. It doesn't take the place of someone who actually has an autistic brain and has lived life as an autistic person. And so as we know, autism is a spectrum and there are people who have other comorbidities and other challenges that may require them to have assistance lifelong but many of us if we were just provided the proper accommodations and if we were provided the opportunity to advocate for ourselves and be taken seriously then we would be able to thrive move from surviving to thriving and be able to live lives that we shape ourselves as opposed to having society impose on us what we're supposed to be based on how they assume we are from an outsider view I really like the name of your social media account because I think when we learn we're neurodivergent, when we learn we're autistic, so much, you know, there is certainly learning that takes place, but I think there's, as important, there's unlearning. 
So I'm wondering if you see a connection maybe between this deconstruction and decolonization. Absolutely. And that's actually what inspired me to name it Deconstructing Neurodivergence because a lot of things always with me always starts with me asking why, the why behind the what. And so once I knew what it was, I'm autistic, I had to understand why autism is the way it is or defined the way that it's defined, why there are certain preconceptions about it. And when I was asking those questions, a lot of it got rooted back to kind of the underlying theme amongst a lot of things that kind of negatively impact our society. And it goes back to these colonial kind of beliefs of perfectionism. And so there's a very narrow view, and I call it the colonial mindset. I don't want to call coin that. I forget who told me that, but someone on TikTok told me to call it the colonial mindset because I do think that that paints a more accurate picture than saying something like, you know, white supremacy, which I think is like a blanket statement that doesn't have the right context to describe what we are talking about. It's a colonial mindset, the mindset that was imposed on everybody that was colonized to fit a certain standard. And anybody who doesn't fit that standard, they get kind of otherized. And so we as neurodivergent people, we literally diverge from what is deemed normal or typical and everything about us gets pathologized. And I think if we go back and deconstruct the roots of what causes us to believe these certain things and we understand the why behind the what, that will help us to break down the things that aren't working and then build up new systems or put things in place that would work. But until we can understand the root, we're just putting band-aids on the problem. We're not solving it. And so that brings me back to the discussions that I like to have in deconstructing neurodivergence. It's challenging. It's asking questions. Why do we do that? Why do neurotypical people do that? Why is this considered normal? Has anyone asked, is, is this logical? So yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest connections that helped spark the whole idea behind deconstructing neurodivergence. So I always love talking with other podcast hosts. And uh, recently, I, you started your own podcast. You know, there was one episode with one of your guests, you discussed the lack of supports available to autistic adults and especially black women. So how have you found this support, particularly in the last couple of years, learning about your identity as an autistic black woman? Yeah, it's been difficult. Not going to lie. I mean, the biggest tool for me so far has been TikTok. I know it gets a lot of negative stigma nowadays. A lot of people like to talk about, oh, it's a fad and people are just going online and self-diagnosing. But firstly, I'll say, if you believe you're autistic and you truly claim it as an identity, chances are you are. Because neurotypical people aren't jumping at the seams to be part of a very marginalized community. They're not. But with that being said, you know, so again, TikTok, it gets a lot of negative stigma, but for me, it has been so amazing because there aren't any programs in my area, and I live in the Philadelphia area. You know, I live near a major city, so imagine people who live in very rural areas or who aren't close to big cities. It's got to be even worse. There aren't any support groups for autistic adults. There definitely aren't any support groups for autistic women of color. And so by being able to connect with 
people from all around the world, not just around the country, but all around the world, who have similar lived experiences and even widely different lived experiences that underneath kind of stem from the same issues that we all face as an autistic community has been so empowering and very validating because the experience that I've had going undiagnosed for so long was a very lonely experience. I felt like I was the only person going through a lot of the things that I went through. I was the only person struggling with the way that I struggled. But now I know that I am not alone in this. There are so many of us that are struggling in the same way. And by kind of building the platform that I've built or started to build, I've been able to connect with even more people to to really help us feel less alone and validate our experiences. You know, earlier you were talking a little bit about reframing kind of your, your mindset. So how has learning about your autism and neurodivergence been helpful in reframing your mind and thoughts? So because I went so long and not understanding why I was the way that I was or why things happened the way they were, I went through a lot of trauma. You know, I just couldn't put the pieces together as to, okay, why am I struggling socially? Why don't I just get it? But once I had the answer, the again, the why behind the what, I was able to go back and think about a lot of my experience, a lot of the things that I've gone through, a lot of the struggles that I continue to have, and it made more sense now. So, no, I am not naive. I just am a literal thinker and don't realize that a lot of people are lying to me. So, like, I didn't get taken advantage of because I'm just a super dumb person. I unfortunately didn't see that this person was lying to me because of how I think. Or, no, I am not a rude person. I just value the truth. And so if I, well, actually something is just because I know the truth that I want to share the truth. It's not that I'm this rude person that everyone kept telling me I am. It just really started helping me with my healing journey and trauma healing, especially when it came to like breaking a lot of people pleasing and fawning tendencies because I learned acceptance by being the least intrusive and the most helpful. And so, again, just understanding who I am and how my brain works, that it's okay to take up space, that it's okay to ask questions if things just don't intrinsically make sense, that it's okay to accommodate myself. Those things have helped me to reframe a lot of my experiences in the past, which is helping me with unmasking and being more authentic now and moving forward. I like what you said there a lot about how your mindset used to be the least intrusive and the most helpful. How has that maybe, how has your mind uh, changed since then? Yeah, so I've learned that boundaries are not only okay, but absolutely necessary. I was always in the belief that I need to just help people, just help help. Because I didn't really do love to help people, but I would do it to a point where I would burn myself out and didn't even realize it until I got burned out. And then even then, I would beat myself up and tell myself that, oh, just do it. Why aren't you just doing this for this person? But now that I understand that I have to have boundaries, I can't pour from an empty cup. So if I am running low on spoons or I don't have that capacity to even help myself, how can I push beyond that to help someone else? And even if I do have the ability to do it, if there's something in me that's telling me that I don't want to and it's not a must, if it's like maybe I'm thinking someone, I'm hearing that should voice, 
I'll take a step back and be like, hey, do I actually want to do this? Do I have to do this? If not, then I don't have to feel bad for holding a boundary and saying, hey, I do not have the capacity to do this, or it is just not within, I, I don't want to do this, and I don't have to, so sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> And beyond this interview, how can people uh, listen to your podcast and also learn about all the great content that you put out there? So, yeah, after this, I would love for you guys to check out my podcast, Beyond Deconstructing. It's available on my YouTube channel as well as on Spotify. I can be found at deconstructing.euro on TikTok and on Instagram. If you still use Twitter, I'm kind of on there, but not really. But I am at decon underscore neuro. Um, I also have my own personal website. It's tjamaicapoga.com. And on there, you can find everything about me, all the links to all of my social media videos and blog posts and all that. Jazz. And then if you would like to support me, I am also on Patreon, patreon.com slash I wanted to ask you about one thing before we go, um, in that you wrote a uh, capstone paper that um, is about understanding autism in women and BIPOC individuals. So um, it's a focus on intersectionality in autism research and diagnostic criteria. So from what I understand, the paper is a call to action to the mental health community. What are some of the critical actions that you think the mental health community must take in our research and diagnostic criteria? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun writing that paper, writing that capsule paper, because I actually got to choose the topic. So of course, I went with autism. The biggest call to action I would say is needed in the mental health community is to update their diagnostic criteria from an intersectional lens because the way the DSM-5 categorizes autism is from a very rigid and one-dimensional spectrum. And that is why for so many of us, our diagnosis gets missed. We get missed, a lot of us, especially if you are a woman or a woman of color, we don't even get autism as a possibility. It's usually a mood disorder like or a personality disorder, like borderline personality disorder and anxiety. And we have a bunch of different diagnoses that actually would just fall under autism a lot of the time. And so the biggest call to action, I would say, is to update and reframe how we look at autism from a diagnostic criteria. And that has to include the voices of actually autistic women people of color, non-gender conforming people, members of the LGBTQIA plus community, because autism is a spectrum and the people that are affected by autism are also a spectrum. And so without that intersectional lens and that understanding of what it looks like and how it presents to different people, we're going to continue to misunderstand autism as a whole and a whole swath of people are going to continue to not understand why their brains are the way they are, and will continue to struggle to survive as opposed to have the tools and the accommodations to be able to thrive. And we could do so much. Our brains are so beautiful. And if we were given the opportunity to contribute in a impactful way, we could definitely help to create a better world for all of us, a better and a more accommodating world for everyone. Absolutely.
Well, T, I, I enjoyed this conversation very much. Thanks for making time uh, for me today, and I'll be checking out all your social media stuff and listening to your podcast. Thank you so much, Doug. This was so fun. Again, I thank you for reaching out. And I would hope to have you on a future episode of Beyond Deconstructing as well. I listened to quite a few of your episodes, and I love what you do and bringing the voices and the stories of actually autistic people. It's it's wonderful and much needed. Well, anytime I get an invite from UT, I'll be there. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much to T for the conversation. To learn more about T, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. So this is the part of the episode where I'm going to tell you about Autism Personal Coach and how we can be helpful in your life. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach provides extraordinary support to live self-sufficient and purpose-driven lives through our customized coaching? If this is something that you're interested in learning more about, please visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Till next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.